Morning Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's Wednesday, apparently, and you are watching AM to DM, of course. Okay. And we're late. We're a little late. We're we a little are, late. Oh, 10 minutes late. Yeah. Oh, my Tech God. Tech issues. Uh, wasn't on us. Yeah, it wasn't our fault. So <laughs> when that happens, we, you, you know, we just stand here yeah. and wait. I go and sit on the couch because my feet are hurt. Um, but <laughs> while we were waiting to get started, um, our stage manager, Frank, and our camera crew just had a very passionate conversation about the history of Cher's outfits. It I love wonderful. our team. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> I love great. our team. It was like aim to dim is just what you think it is. Uh, literally, we had some downtime, and our entire crew was just like, let's just talk about the historical uh, relevancy of Cher's outfits from the 70s. Yeah, Frank was like, have you seen this? I was like, of course I've seen this outfit. I'm gay. <laughs> I love it. I just, I love that that's just who we are. And we didn't want to keep that. We didn't want to, we didn't want to keep yeah. that joy from you all. I should have periscoped it. But we're here. Yeah. We are here. Well, listen, here's a tweet from CBS LA. Every American with a cell phone will receive a text message from the president Wednesday, which is today. The message is the first ever test of a system which will allow any president to issue a warning about a crisis, such as a missile launch or a tsunami. Delete my number, America. <laughs> blocked. What do you think, what do you think it will say? What do you think today's message will say? It'll probably say? be about the failing New York Times if it's going out today. If it's coming out from the president. All right, well, let's let's get into it. It okay. is coming out today. All right. It's coming out at 2.18 we Eastern. We can't stop it. If you want to uh, mark that on your phone for any reason. Okay. Um, the, it's going to read, presidential alert. This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. Um, FEMA is working very hard. They understand people's fears. They're working very hard to try and convey to people <laughs> that this does not mean Trump can just send you messages whenever he wants. They, I know FEMA wants to believe that, and FEMA wants mm. us mm. to believe mm. that, mm. but it, it's just, there's going to be a typo in the tweet, at it's, a minimum. He's, Again, he's, I don't really think he's sending it There's from gonna his There's going to be phone. a run on There's going to be a lot of like procedures and protocol before it happens. And listen, here's the thing. Safety first. I think this is probably not the world's worst idea. On yeah, other, I value my safety, which is exactly why Trump shouldn't be allowed to just force a text on I'm going to say this on the other side of the argument, mm -hmm. on that like safety yep. first. You remember Hawaii? <laughs> Absolutely. So these uh, things have been known to backfire in the past. This is why I'm going to die in the apocalypse, because I'm going to get an emergency alert, and I'm not going to believe it. Okay. Well, our producer, Kara, we love her, um, had the most important question, in my opinion. She tweeted, can we text back? Okay, that's Which, actually, that's a very good question. It's a good question. What would you text back if you could? Okay, uh, I've been thinking about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would just tweet, I would copy and paste the entire transcript from the Access Hollywood video. Oh, wow. As much as much as, as much character space as I would use. I think it's an emergency copy alert. And paste, copy I think and you paste, get copy all and the paste, characters you want. I thought about tweeting like, hey, Trump, just had a seance, spoke to your dad, He's disappointed. Whoa. Happy Halloween. Ooh, uh, spooky. Yeah. Bringing, bringing Fred maybe Trump some, into Maybe it. just some pictures of Stormy Daniels. Oh, okay. Whatever. You I really just, have you know, given I'm this I'm not a saying I have thought. a Google Doc or anything. Yeah, yeah. What would, you, what would you do? I think given how much thought you've put into it, I'd just give you my phone. You could have two text backs, <laughs> two freebies. But listen, Twitter, we want to hear from you. What would you text back to the president if given the opportunity? Let us know using the hashtag AM2LoseMyNumber. Lose my number. I, 10 minutes before, I'm just going to turn my phone off. 
Again, 218. Can't wait. 218. Well, in the meantime, here's a tweet from Chase Mitchell that uh, gets me. Um, LOL, the New York Times published a 14,000 word story that would have brought down any president in modern history, and it was like, the fourth most fucked up Trump story of the day? Ain't that the way it is. It is time, as always, you ready? To go live from the district. Cause that is where just all the news is coming from. It's a disaster. <laughs> okay, let's uh, start with this tweet from Suzanne Craig, one of the New York Times reporters who broke the story on Trump's wealth. It's inherited wealth. Inherited wealth. It is mind-boggling to me how much we learned about Donald Trump and his tax shenanigans, thank you for that word, Suzanne, through the documents we got. It really underscores the need for Trump, for presidents, Trump, Donald Trump in particular, to release their tax returns. BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod joins us to talk about the story. Paul, what are some of the most important takeaways from the article? <laughs> um, the Good tax luck. system is a fucking joke. It ain't joke. short. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's incredibly eye-opening, uh, the amount of money that ultra-rich people are able to hide and avoid paying taxes on in this country. And, I mean, the real takeaway is we all freak out when a politician spends a few thousand dollars on a plane or office furniture, when there is a class of ultra-wealthy people in this country who are defrauding the Treasury, the American people, by God knows how many billions of dollars every year, and we find out only when they become president. How many other people are doing this that we're never gonna hear about? Yeah, it's pretty stunning, and of course, everyone needs to read it, and then everything. Something I wanted to ask you, and I do not mean this to be shady, Maybe I do. Um, why uh, is this kind of uh, report coming out in October of 2018 as opposed to 2016? Well, President Trump, then uh, candidate Trump, refused to release his tax filings before the election. I mean, he was the first president, I believe, in modern history not to do that. And now we know why. We know why they, they, is because they were incredibly damaging. And so the New York Times eventually got these documents. I think it was a year and a half they've been working on this with three reporters to put this out. They had to go through over 100,000 pages. I mean, the New York Times, which is a fairly cautious paper, put in the lead of the story that the president committed outright fraud. So you know that they went over this in great detail and they had a ton of lawyers look over this to put out a statement like that. And that took some time. Yeah, I mean, that is what stuck me. That, that line is very much, it's at the top of the piece. I wanted to ask, have we had any reactions from like New York officials, like anything? Like, what does this mean that- Oh, like New York state officials? Yeah, that yeah. the New York Times is dropping all this information. We have, and they said they, they are looking into the claims in the New York Times story. I mean, the claims include uh, criminal acts, I mean, outright fraud, according to the Times. And they say that they are investigating that. It seems uh, implausible that 20 to 30 years later, they would uh, maybe level any charges against a sitting president. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. But I, I suspect nothing's going to really come from it. But they say they're looking into it. And, and to this point, and this is just us, this is just us talking, Paul. But um, I tweeted yesterday mm. that I was like, I'm worried about like, what, can a story like this have impact to mm. Chase Mitchell's tweet? This typically, this kind of story would be career ending, right? For most people, not just presidents. But with so much news going on, is it not unreasonable to feel like, ah, uh, it's just, you know, another drop in the bucket? I mean, it's not unreasonable. Uh, we've seen, we've got a mountain of evidence now that uh, President Trump's supporters are going to stand with him no matter what, and his opponents are already his opponents. 
I mean, he's already president, right? So right now, short of impeachment, which this wouldn't really be a factor in that because it happened before the presidency. Short of impeachment, uh, nothing can really happen until the next election. So as huge as this story is, and like it is a bombshell, people. I, I know it's really long, but it is just full of mo- the just incredible stuff. Um, I mean, I don't think this is really going to change too much, I'm afraid, because uh, really there's nothing that can be done about it right now. And I do, Paul, I want to sit with it for one more minute because it is like, it was such a bombshell. I feel like when they put it out, I was kind of expecting to not be surprised. Mm-hmm. And then as I, re- I just every single, I was like, holy shit. So Paul, just to take a moment, you're such a smart mind. What was like the biggest thing for you? Like what really stood out? That's right, I put a little flattery in there. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, I would say two things. First of all, like the period in like the late 80s, early 90s, where it just talked about what a financial disaster Donald Trump was and how much his father had to bail him out and the ways that he would do that. Because, of course, for uh, Fred Trump, Donald Trump's father, to actually give him money, you would pay a very high tax rate on that. And the schemes that they came up with were, I mean, just uh, so blatant. I mean, at one point, he owed his father $11 million, and his father, rather than forcing him to pay it back and, or calling in the loan, converted that debt into stock in one of Trump's companies, which he then sold to Trump for basically nothing. I mean, that is blatant tax avoidance. avoidance. And they were just getting away with it. And then the other thing is, in the late 90s, when they looked at their father and they were like, wow, the old man's really getting up there. He's worth billions of dollars. We are going to have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars on this estate if he dies. And they began a concerted plan to siphon off their father's empire to the level of children before that happened. And they got away with it. We're talking about a half billion dollar tax bill that they would have had to face if Fred Trump Jr. had, or sorry, Fred Trump Sr. had died, but $500 million, and they ended up paying $50 million through a series of everything from shell companies to everything you can imagine to holding trusts that were transferred to their name. They managed to reduce their tax bill by about 90%, and they got away with it. The IRS didn't blink an eye. More than the wealth of some countries, I would imagine. Uh, Well, let's talk about the fact that Trump, as we all know, seems to have a lot of opinions about gender politics lately. Uh, Let's start with what he said on the South Lawn yesterday. Cigar and Jetty tweeted this quote, Trump, my whole life I've heard you are innocent until proven guilty, but now you're guilty until proven innocent. I say that it is a very scary time for young men in America. Paul, is it a scary time for young men and by which Trump obviously means young white men in America? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm terrified out here. I just, you know, who knows what's going to happen to us. I mean, it, 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 we've seen this a lot. This is a, this is such a common now refrain of uh, certainly older white men, uh, their perception of this backlash. The interesting thing about this one is, of course, it is tied to Brett Kavanaugh. This is not even any kind of a, a, a Weinstein-level story because we are not talking about bringing down a powerful person in the sense of them losing their job or going to jail or anything like that. This is essentially, and Democrats keep saying this, but in a sense it's true, a job interview. We're talking about a confirmation process to a lifetime appointment at the highest court in the land. So the standards are kind of different, but to a lot of people, uh, Kavanaugh supporters, they don't see it that way. And they see this as an innocent man being smeared from false allegations from a long time ago. And I mean, it's, uh, it's a common refrain. If, if it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone. And, the Trump, and Trump has said this, that every, every appointee to any job should be fearful if Kavanaugh is allowed to go down. I mean, I've kind of gotten used to that at this point, that, uh, that line. Mm. 
Well, of course, there is more. Let's take a look at this moment from Trump's rally in Mississippi last night. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Jesus. Uh, so, Paul, why has the president gone from describing Dr. Blasey Ford as a credible witness, his words, to openly mocking her? I think there was a period following uh, Christine Blasey Ford's testimony where Republicans really weren't sure whether this Kavanaugh nomination was going to be successful. And I think they've made up their minds that they can make this happen. And we now see them going on the offensive. Uh, we saw Trump's statements uh, sort of mocking her account yesterday. We also, what was actually even more outrageous to me, the Judiciary Committee, the, the Republican staffers in the Judiciary Committee released a letter from a, a man who made allegations against Julie Swetnick, one of the other accusers, essentially trying to discredit her just for liking group sex. It said that he, he said that she told him that she was into group sex. And like that was basically the content of the letter, just slut shaming someone for who, who is, from what we can tell, not even actually the substance of the FBI investigation. So they're going all in. This is, this is a full court press. They are trying to get Kavanaugh confirmed by probably Sunday at the latest. And you can see it in this distinct change of tone. It's just, it's, it's, it's stunning to watch unfold. So Paul, this is my question for you. The president is going after mm -hmm. Christine Blasey Ford. He's gone after female reporters seemingly every day um, this week, right? Uh, we have, uh, like you said, revelations like that being put out by members of Congress, Mitch McConnell making comments. You know, how do we, how do we make sense of all this virulent misogyny in terms of uh, preparing ourselves for this FBI uh, investigation. I, I, I can't help but try to feel like, do these two pieces fit together? Does this speak to how they want us to interpret the FBI's findings? Yeah, I, I keep trying to look at what is happening now from a vantage point of say 20 years in the future, the way we look at the Anita Hill hearings now, we look at it uh, in this very different light than they did at the time, and it's, it's difficult to do, but I'm trying to sort of look ahead to that. And I, I think it's going to be seen in a, a similar light. The attacks that Christine Blasey Ford and the other women have gone, uh, uh, have been, had put at them is, uh, it's pretty incredible to see a president coming out Someone he called credible prior previously, and, and now coming out and saying that against her. Um, I, 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 I think this is going to be viewed as a, a dark moment in American history. I can't help but agree. It certainly uh, feels like it. Yeah, Paul, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. Always, always fun talking to you about these cheery subjects. Always a hoot. Always a hoot. Um, we have a tweet here from Miss Jonesy uh, about the clip of showing Trump, because that's hard to watch, right? Mm -hmm. She said, legit appreciate the lead into the clip so that you can mute that horror show. Um, I don't even have the words to describe how gross public bullying is and has been. So we try to be thoughtful when playing that because, ugh. And I saw a lot of that in the timeline yesterday. Yeah. I saw a lot of people, their reactions to that was just like, it's terrible, it's disgusting, what more is there to say? Yep. Well, listen, when we come back, it is time for some much needed fire tweets. My florist is fed up. Welcome back. <laughs> 
Sorry, sometimes I throw curveballs at Isaac right before we go live, and he's like, what are we doing? I have, I have no idea. I actually take them very well. He's I think, good. I, I think good. I'm masterful. I just, you know, I'm like talking about my floors and stuff. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about bar fights, shall we? Yeah, let's do All right, it. this tweet comes from Jeet here. Bar fight? <laughs> I'm not such a cuck that I need a bar to get into a fight. I just challenge everyone I meet to a brawl. My life is a 24-7 battle. Yeah, uh, so you, you might have noticed a uh, lot of people, especially on one certain end of the political spectrum yesterday, basically saying things like, who hasn't been in a bar fight? And I've been in hundreds of them. And weirdly, what? they all won them all, which was all really interesting to watch unfold. This, of course, was sparked yeah. by Brett Kavanaugh right. and the bar fight. And literally, a guy, uh, a host tweeted out, I don't know a single man who has not been in a bar fight. To which I said, who are your friends, sir? Terrible people. Who do you hang out with? Terrible people. I was a bouncer at a bar for a very long time. Yeah. I am here to say, and I tweeted this out yesterday, that almost all bar fights are not fun for everyone. You're actually ruining most people's good times. Mm. You're being a jackass. You're being a pain in the ass. You're damaging property. Mm. And then the bar fights that are as serious or as cool as you want them to be are actually very violent and oftentimes scary for yeah. everyone. Yeah. So, so from your, it's like a lot of myth making. Like. Yeah, it's a lot of myth making when nine times out of 10, it's usually a couple of guys hugging each other, falling to the ground with some of their ass cracks mm -hmm. showing. And then if there are actually some punches thrown, uh, yeah, it's scary for the patrons. You're a fucking asshole. It's just, I'm like, I, I just can't. Yeah. We can't. And we so won't. Don't brag about bar fighting. It's not cool. End of the deal. It's not cool. Spooky Moose, you tweeted, Dracula giving his son the talk. You see, when two monsters love each other very much, they, Dracula's son, they, they do the mash, Dracula. They do the monster mash. <laughs> I'm sorry, I started laughing because of Spooky Moose. I love, there were so many ways you could have read that tweet. And you were like, uh-uh, I'm going for my daytime Emmy today. It's a that was a dramatic, you know, beautiful. It's a special moment. Those are the conversations you should be having. Don't talk about bar fights. Talk about oh safe God. sex. Really communicate with your sons. We stand a sex-positive vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Okay, this tweet comes from David Pittman. The screen time feature on our iPhones sucks. I need something that will make my iPhone burn extremely hot to the point of burning my hands if I try to use Twitter between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. That's true. That's very yeah. true. Yeah. I'm not, I won't lie. This is just gonna be one other thing mm -hmm. to feel guilty about. Okay. This oh. whole, like, the whole update where it's like, and then, and we'll tell you how much I, time, I you're in the danger zone. It's like, I know. Yeah. I already know I'm on my phone too That's much. That's real. Yeah. Don't tell me I'm back on my bullshit. Stop <laughs> me from being on my, I know I'm Lock on my the bullshit. phone. I'm aware I'm doing it. <laughs> and boss, you tweeted, it's Mean Girls Day, and I woke up feeling mean. Ooh. So it's lit. <laughs> Be mean to somebody today. <laughs> Go off. Happy October Go 3rd. Go off. Happy October 3rd. Mm -hmm. I do, yeah. Uh, shout out to being good and mad as we learned from Rebecca Tracer yesterday. So I'm gonna add like the meanness to a part of it. And we've also got a oh, very right. special Mean yes. Girls segment coming up. Yes. I'm gonna, mm. I'm very excited. You're gonna want to watch it. Absolutely. Uh, Stephanie McNeil's gonna give you some Mean Girls tea. Let's do that. <laughs> okay, we have another one. Is this also from David Pittman? Is David Pittman just on a roll? Okay, here we go. <laughs> if algorithms were waiters, Twitter, your friends like steak. Try the steak, but first, dessert. Amazon, I'll get that burger started for you, and here's 10 more burgers to consider. YouTube, if you enjoyed the wedge salad, perhaps you would also like a plate of wasps? 
I'm sorry, it just really nailed a lot of things. But for me, that's the YouTube, that is the YouTube algorithm. Yeah, I've, you know, because right. I watch Unsolved, I've actually been spending a little bit more time on YouTube. And oh, that is yeah. exactly what it's like. Really? It's like, oh, did you enjoy that? Here's something horrible. I, don't, I only watch YouTube to watch the um, drag queen photo fashion review. And then I run away. And then you don't, you don't wait for <laughs> the what's oh, next. No suggestions, please. No All right, you ready for this tweet of the day? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Tweet of the day from John Darth Vader. Come to the dark side. Moth. Absolutely not. I'm sorry, I couldn't get through it. I don't. I don't know why I love this tweet. Yeah, you don't even like Star Wars. I don't. You know I don't. Oh, it's so funny. Absolutely not. Anyway, friends, up next, I'm outraged. I'm disgusted. Lady Gaga fans are shading Tom Hardy, and I just can't look at look. Look at my hair. I'm a mess. I'm a mess about it. We'll talk about it. Stay tuned. I, on the other hand, I'm like, don't don't watch this, Lady Gaga fans. We love you. We love Lady Gaga. Oh right, please yeah, don't come. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't, yeah. Do don't come for us. Welcome back, friends. We are still fucked. Uh, here's a tweet from Pixmaven that I. I I really appreciate this from you. Um, I hope I don't ever lose this feeling of incensed outrage. It will keep me from becoming numb, and I try to use it. It's powerful fuel. Mm. Um, that is so thoughtful, and I really, and you see my tweets, I've really been struggling with numbness, depression, just feeling like nothing matters, and so thank you for this reminder. It's like, no, like we can make use of these feelings um, and, and channel them into doing our jobs better, yeah. Yeah. Um, voting, yeah. you know, whatever. So. I'm sorry, what did you say there? Voting. Oh, I wonder, if, get I wonder if we'll there. be talking about that in a we'll little bit. We'll get into that. First, though, here's a very 2018 tweet from our <laughs> own Ryan Broderick. Spins wheel. Oh. Lady Gaga fans, spins wheel, have been accused of making a botnet, spins wheel, to organize a harassment campaign, spins wheel, against the Tom Hardy Venom movie. <gasps> Oh yeah, baby. That's that's. I mean, I know, I know the gender reveal thing was very 2018, but this is oh, very God. 2018. I laugh, but friends, this is not a joke. Oh, oh. The gay agenda has gone too far. Okay, we are what? not supposed to be making botnets out here. Listen, Tom Hardy <laughs> is a precious, attractive, well crafted <laughs> soul of a man. And I will not be forced, and, and Lady Gaga is all those things too. Uh, and I will not be forced to choose between Tom Hardy and Lady Gaga. Is this your like leave Britney alone moment? Yes. This is like your leave, leave Tom, Tom Hardy alone. Leave that man. He bared his soul on MySpace for us, and this is how we show our gratitude. No, no. <laughs> he bared his what on MySpace? <laughs> This is terrible. I'm sorry. I'm just really basking in this. I'm just going to sit in this for a little bit because I feel like so much of my job recently has just been Trump and Saeed kind of being exhausted by the news. It's very exciting to see you so fired up over something that's not DC related. It's 2015 again. And you are here to protect Tom Hardy. Let's just say a dark star is born. Get it? Like Venom? Anyway, okay, it's true. <laughs> Lady Gaga, I'm just, I'm apoplectic about this. Lady Gaga fans appear to be using fake accounts to spread negative reviews. This is so crazy. Of Tom Hardy's movie, Venom, which happens to come out on the same day as her movie. All right, BuzzFeed News reporter Rachel Krishna is here to help us sort it out as best we can. Rachel, good morning. 
Hi guys, um, I'm happy to come help you with your emotions uh, with this. Yeah. Let the healing begin, Rachel. We really yeah. appreciate that. Rachel, here's a wild tweet that you highlighted in your piece about this mess. It's from Ann Harrison Mom. That's the username, Ann Harrison Mom. Yes. I saw Venom last night and had to leave halfway through. My children wouldn't stop crying at how bad it was. Luckily, a second pre-screening of A Star is Born was about to start and now we are all crying. Tears of amazement, please. Pray for my eldest, he is still in a coma. And look at the picture. Oh man. Wow, Rachel, what is going on? All right, so this is a lot. Um, so as you pointed out rightly, this weekend, both Venom and A Star Is Born have, are coming out, right? Um, Venom has not got so good reviews so far. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Saeed, but it's not been taken very well. Um, a Star Is Born, really great reviews. Uh, Lady Gaga's being like, uh, all think, everyone thinks she's going to get the Oscar for it. Um, but despite this, um, some of Lady Gaga's Twitter stands, aka The Little Monsters, um, decide to have a little bit of fun on Twitter as they see it. Um, so when the first like social reviews came out for Venom just after the premiere, they started putting their own fake reviews on. Um, some of them they did from their own accounts. Um, some they did from what was known as kind of like Midwestern mum accounts. Uh, news reporter Brad Esposito has written about these before. They're like fake mum accounts wow. that uh, stands, particularly Lady Gaga stands, create basically to promote Lady Gaga. Um, they like use them to uh, at radio stations, um, and they were always sending these really similar messages, which is like the one you put out, which is like, "I went to see Venom." It was bad. Go see A Star Was Born instead. The similarity of these messages made a lot of Venom fans and Marvel fans freak out because they were like, oh, my God, a bot network is happening. Um, they've always been very scared of that. Their favorite films are getting negative reviews on places like Rotten Tomatoes because of targeted bot campaigns. Uh, this isn't one. It's just a bunch of Lady Gaga fans making a bunch of fake accounts and doing this for fun. Uh, they all know they all know that Venom was getting bad reviews. They just wanted to kind of mess with people a little bit. They just wanted to troll. Um, and they did that. It uh, freaked a bunch of people out. Then some of the Lady Gaga fans started saying that DC fans were doing this because obviously Marvel and DC fans always fight. Um, and it just caused chaos, essentially. This is just a mess. <laughs> this is Shakespeare, baby. I the, love it. <laughs> we told the children it gets better, not it gets messy. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, Rachel, you know, as a gay, uh, I dabble in Stan Twitter. And I do see, I've seen things with like people trying to like influence numbers for their favorite K-pop bands on, on Spotify and stuff. So is this something that is becoming more common? Yeah, um, it's been going on for a little bit of time now, uh, particularly with some K-pop stands, but now other people are picking it up. Um, just creating fake accounts. I mean, so many young people on Twitter have things like alts, have accounts that are just devoted to their artists, their main accounts. They have all these networks already. Um, and so they use them in these times to influence stuff. Um, and so it's going to become more and more often. And obviously in a time of fake news, uh, again, fear of bots, uh, it's really kind of causing a bit of a mess and causing chaos because no one knows what's true or what's fake. Mm. Yeah, I do, I do want to ask, though, and again, you mentioned this, that the Venom reviews may be not so hot. How scared should people be around Stan Twitter? And is there any idea around how, like, if you do something, you produce something, you put it out in the world, and then to kind of have this backlash, like, is there any way to fight against it? 
Stan Twitter are very powerful. <laughs> um, so I don't really think you should be scared of Stan Twitter unless you have any reason to be scared, really. They're very good at finding stuff about people. Um, and so, I mean, they very regularly dig up stuff about people who have annoyed them and put that out there. They've driven like Ed Sheeran off Twitter before, uh, this particular little the Lady Gaga fans. Um, and so like... They're powerful, but they're powerful because there's a lot of them. Mm. Um, but also in the end, they're mostly teenagers and young people. And so they are as powerful as a bunch of young people on the internet or teens on the internet can be. Incredible. Incredible. Yes. Well, uh, <laughs> stay on Twitter. Find Trump's tax returns, you know, get to work. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us this morning. It was thank fun. Thank you. <laughs> All right, friends. I gotta I gotta ask real quick. Are yeah. you are you gonna go see? Uh, you know I'm gonna see. You're it. still gonna see Venom. The bar is low. My bar, I mean the bar is very. The, the real reviews yeah. have been not great. I just want to see Venom and Tom Hardy make out, and then I can like walk out of the theater. <laughs> Got everything I wanted. Okay, up next, if you can believe it, midterm elections, five weeks away. Five weeks until midterm elections, and so when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking about a voter initiative that BuzzFeed is kicking off today. Basically, y'all need to now. vote. Vote, vote, please. Vote. Please. Vote. Vote. <laughs> There's a lot of terrible news this morning, week, month, lifetime. But you know what doesn't suck? Voting. Say it again. Democracy. Say it again. Civic duty. Again. <laughs> Being registered to vote. Being registered to vote. Making you be a thesaurus is <laughs> one of my favorite vow. things in the world. Democracy. Just voting. I think you just <laughs> vote, vote, vote. Polls. Vote. I don't know. How many times? Truly. Just vote. Yes, please. Because listen, we want you to vote, and BuzzFeed wants you to vote, which is why BuzzFeed is launching a voter registration campaign. Yeah, this is, oh, we can, this is a PSA. That's, this, what, this is, that's what's happening. The more you, I don't know if we have the rights Oh, to we don't have the rights yeah, to yeah, yeah. Okay, Jessica Massa joins <laughs> us now uh, from BuzzFeed LA to talk about this new voter registration project. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. Hi from BuzzFeed LA. Hi. Okay, so what is BuzzFeed doing to help get people registered? Yes, so BuzzFeed is relaunching our company-wide nonpartisan voter registration campaign for the 2018 election. So what that means is that we're tapping into all of our reach and all of our influence across our many brands and channels and platforms and shows um, and using that to register voters and to inspire them to hopefully participate in the American democracy. Yes, participate in the American democracy. (laughs) So what are the logistics? How are we going to do this? Right. So we are partnering with TurboVote again this year. Um, We partnered with them for the 2016 elections as well. They're a really incredible user-friendly voter registration platform. Um, So we have a site with them. It is buzzfeed.turbovote.org. And you'll go there. And once you go through their sign-up process, you'll likely be registered in minutes. The way that you get there is that we are putting on one of the largest Uh, coordinated editorial pushes that we ever have at BuzzFeed. So that means across video, across our site, uh, buzzfeed.com, across our social platforms, you're going to start seeing tons and tons of really fantastic content that will hopefully address some of the reasons that people might not be registered. I think it's really important to not just plaster registration everywhere, to just put it in people's faces and feel like we're bugging people. Um, We really want to think about why some people are not registered and address that, um, kind of get people excited to actually register and vote this year. So 
You'll see all this amazing content. You'll see the link to buzzfeed.turbovote.org. You'll go, you'll fill out some really easy questions. And then a few minutes later, you'll be registered to vote. I like that. I like talking about the reasons why people might not feel inclined to vote. And that's certainly something Isaac and I can talk about on the show for the next five mm -hmm. weeks, nonstop. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask us something that's different is we're also partnering with Lyft. So how is Lyft coming into all of this? Yes, we're so excited about this partnership. So we are their exclusive media partner for the 2018 elections. Um, something that everyone should know is that in 2016, it's estimated that millions of people who were actually registered, so who could have gone to the polls, ended up not voting because of transportation issues, mm. uh, which is really devastating for the democracy, for the people who wanted to actually be out there voting. So Lyft is really committed to you know, making that outcome way better in 2018. And we love that. We're committed to that as well. We want to take away barriers that might make it harder for people to actually get there. So the process we have is if you sign up at our TurboVote site, um, which will give you information, updates through election day, information about your polling location, like you'll just be so set and ready to vote, then you will get access to a 50% off Lyft discount code for your ride to the polls on election day. So you'll just put in this code you get, um, you'll get to go to the polls and you'll get 50% off that ride. All right. That is oh. absolutely fantastic. Love Jessica, it. one more time for the people in the back, what's the site they go to? Buzzfeed.turbovote.org. All right, that's the one, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. I love it. Democracy. Democracy. It's, it's sexy. <laughs> it's the new Vogue. Okay, my producer's like, come on, we get it. Okay. Vote, 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 It's Mean Girls Day. Stephanie has a treat for you. We're very excited. We're, this is, this is exciting. Happy October 3rd. What is wrong with On October 3rd, he asked me what day it was. What day is it? It's October 3rd. Yeah, it is! It's October 3rd! I just am living my best Mean Girls high school fantasy right now. Jonathan Bennett, a.k.a. Aaron Samuels, is here, and we're celebrating Mean Girls Day and the release of his Mean Girls-inspired cookbook, which we are matching, as you know. I noted. know. Look how good this I mean, look how fantastic this shot is. It looks is. really, we really good. We have the pink and the black. Very on brand. Very on brand. It's good. Okay, so it's Wednesday, October 3rd, so obviously I am wearing pink because it's Wednesday. You're not wearing pink. How come? Well, you know, I feel like it's a little too, like, I, I can I can ask everyone what day it is, but, like, on October 3rd, I can't also wear pink and ask what day it is. I think it's too much. I mean, you gotta pick one or the other. Otherwise, you're just like a walking billboard for Mean Girls. I mean, you're walking around on Wednesday, October 3rd <laughs> yeah. in New York. Yeah. I mean, how are you even getting down the street right now? It, it, it's, well, I equate it to being like the ball in Times Square on New Year's Eve. Like, once a year, the whole world turns to the ball and it's like, drop from the sky and, and count down the new year. And once a year, everyone in the world turns to me and is like, what day is it? What day is it? And I'm like, guys, uh, it's October 3rd. We, it's October 3rd. What's the weirdest October 3rd encounter you've ever had, besides this one right now? Well, me this, me, Stephanie, it was yeah. the, the first moment of me, me and Stephanie. Yeah, um, I think we had, I had people camped out in front of my hotel last night, which was weird. Like, I've never had that happen where, like, people camp out in front of your hotel and, like, wait for you. That was weird. 
Did you that come out and say hi? One. Did you say it was October 2nd? Well, no, because I'm like so like, I'm like, oh, thank you so much. And I felt bad that they had been there for like eight hours sitting on the like ground in New York City. So like I went upstairs and got them books and was like out there like handing out books. Like, thank you. I'm so sorry you had to wait. I'm so sorry you had to wait because Sounds like it was worth the wait. Yeah, it was cute. It was okay, adorable. so tell me a little bit about this book. It's oh a cookbook, gosh. right? It's a cookbook. It's a fan book. It's a Mean Girls inspired parody cookbook. So there the way it came up with this is I've, I've always wanted to be into cooking. I work on Food Network, I host all the Halloween wars, all the cake wars, and so food has always been a part of my life with my mom and growing up she was a chef. And when she passed away, I wanted to find a way to make her recipes live on. And I was like, what am I gonna do in the cooking space? And then I was with a good friend of mine and we were making guacamole in my kitchen and we started screwing around with it and I put in pomegranate seeds and apples. And she tasted it and she goes, it's not regular guac, it's cool guac. And I go, what did you just say? And she's like, it's not regular guac, it's cool guac. I'm like, oh, fettuccine Alfredo, fettuccine. We have to do a Mean Girls parody cookbook. And so that's how the Burn Cookbook was born. So it's filled with so many things. You have amazing recipes that are good. Now, whether you're a cook, you're a home cook, you're a professional chef, all the recipes in here are done for the basic girl. Like anyone can make them. You don't have to be a chef to be able to do it. It's all super, super simple stuff, but it's really good. Like the recipes are really, really tasty, and they all have amazing puns. Like you have like fettuccine Alfredo. We have Gretchen's wieners. That's kind of a gimme. We have. Let I me mean, give you another one. Give me yeah, another one. Um, awesome shooters. We have actual awesome shooters in here, which are champagne jello shots. They're amazing. We have the um, we have the two gay to function Cosmo. Why didn't you bring me these drinks? I, I mean, well, because it's early. Maybe it's never too early it's for never a two too gay to function Cosmo. We have a we have a we have a, ro a rose spritzer called the You Can't Sip with Us. Like, it's so much fun. There's so many things, and then there's also games in it. There's behind the scenes, there's behind the scenes facts that like people don't know that I know from set. Like for example, you know when Rachel McAdams, when they say, oh, her hair's insured for $10,000? That's because it was actually a wig made for Rachel that cost $10,000 from a guy in Canada. Put that in your trivia quiz, guys. Um, but like it's it's there's so many things you can do with this book. You don't it's not just a cookbook It's the ultimate gift the ultimate slumber party book brunch book There's a whole section called the burn brunch and it's a boozy drinking game So you watch the movie you play the drinking game and you make the the, the cocktails and the brunch And you hang out with your friends and just have a good time. I'm really bummed that I'm not playing that drinking game We're right going now. yeah, well, we're going to it's gonna be great uh, for example There's also a true and false quiz, but as we like to call it Duh, or shut up. Okay. So if it's Give me true, one. Give me one. if it's true, you say duh, or no. Yeah, if it's true, you say duh. If it's false, you say shut up. All right. Um, number one, Aaron Samuels is gorgeous. Hmm. True. Duh. Duh. <laughs> right. Very on brand. Um, you can only wear jeans or track pants on Fridays. Duh. Duh! See, so far, two for two. Easy game. Oh, we have bells. This is oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah, we definitely have bells. BuzzFeed, I love you guys. This is crazy. So, are there any secrets in here that you can share with me and the rest of our audience? Secrets? Secrets in the set? The hair is full of secrets, not yeah. the book. Yeah. The hair is full. Uh, very on brand, guys. Very on brand. Very on brand. Um, yeah, no, the hair is full of secrets. Um, you know, Mean Girls became such a thing. And I think it's because of Tina Fey's amazing writing, right? I mean, Tina Fey is the best writer in the world. She wrote something that everyone can identify with because everyone's been to high school. And with this time that is happening in the world where everyone's being divided and in sitting apart from each other, just like in the lunchroom in Mean Girls, where they're like, you can't sit with us, I wanted to create something that made people 
say you can sit with us. And what better way to bring people together than with food and a good time where they can relive some of their favorite moments, have a good time with their friends, and just be together and make fetch recipes. That sounds awesome. Okay, so there's also a foreword from Lacey who Lacey played- Lacey Chabert, Gretchen Wieners. Gretchen Wieners in the book. Do you keep in contact with her, you guys I buddies? am obsessed with Lacey Chabert. Lacey, where are you? If you're watching this, Lacey Chabert, I love you. I love you very, very much. She is one of the you're best- You're so fetch, Lacey. You're so fetch. Look at her, look at her. Stop trying to make fetch happen. So fetch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lacey is the best. She wrote the foreword. I called her up and I was like, Lacey, I'm doing this like parody cookbook. Would you write the foreword for me? And she was like, yeah, of course. But actually in like Lacey voice, she was like, oh my gosh, yes, of course. I would love to do that. <laughs> that's, that's pretty, that's a pretty no, good Lacey's, Lacey. like, all I do is I'm, I live to embarrass Lacey Chabert. Like my goal in life is to make Lacey Chabert embarrassed all the time. And so whenever we're working together, we do Hallmark movies, we do a ton of movies together. Um, we love you, Hallmark. Uh, we do a we ton love of, you, we do, we do love Here. you, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we do a ton of movies together. And all I do is sit there and like, like, just like screw with her, and she'll always get embarrassed. And so her favorite thing to say, I think, is she always is like, Jonathan, you're embarrassing me. Jonathan, stop it. You're embarrassing me. Jonathan, Jonathan, we can't do that here. We're filming. Jonathan, Jonathan, you're embarrassing me. Jonathan, stop it. Stop it. Like that's all Lisa Chabert says to me. I really want to come on set with you guys. Come on, it's, really it's a great fun. time. No, I'm, I'm next time I'm in LA, I'll call you up. Yeah, for okay, sure. Okay, so I have one more question before we gotta let you I go. I have as many answers as you want, go. Could you just push your hair back for me? <sighs> they're, they're right, it does look sexy pushed it back. It does look pretty sexy pushed back. Jonathan, thank you so much. Give me a hug. Thank you. Today. This is the best Beat Girls Day of my life. Be sure to check out the Bird Cookbook out now and let us know how you're celebrating Bean Girls Day using the hashtag AMCDM. We'll be right back. Hi, friends. This is Dear Ferocity, where I offer you an off-the-cuff advice. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, today, I'm joined by writer and icon Heather Haveleski, who, of course, is one of the Internet's most thoughtful advice columnists, as Polly. You know her, you love her. Hi. Hi. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. I love that so you're here. So good to see you. And also, just congratulations. New book Thank day. You. Book Thank day. You. What yeah. if this were enough? Which, like, girl, how do you have a shook with a book title? Just minding our business, walking through the bookstore, like, well, what if it, what if it was? I don't. Ever since I wrote that title, uh -huh. it's been haunting me every day, and I want to bring that terrible feeling to Good. the world. Make yeah. us, make us sit with it. Yeah. Make us sit with it. Well, um, in the book, you write a lot about things that, of course, that you've struggled with or realized that you don't like, and I, I wonder, like, was it cathartic to kind of walk through that kind of process of like, actually, I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah, um, I kind of, I've kind of made a career from writing about things that I don't like. Okay. Actually, you know, I've been kind of, I've been writing professionally for 25 years, so, and I'm a pretty negative person, okay. you know. Um, what you say with a smile? You know, like most advice columnists, you I think mean, so? with a disposition. I'm the negative one. Well, I, I know, I was kind of making a joke. Like I think actually most advice columnists are kind of optimists, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. or at least they can wrestle a negative view into mm, a positive one. Mm. I have moved in that direction. Okay. Um, but this book is kind of a culmination of years of observing American culture and thus also global culture yes. and sort of yes. picking apart the pieces of how we landed in the broken, mm -hmm. messed up place that we are in right now. Yeah, absolutely. Like the weird hell it's of- 
It's intense. The things that, you know, the poisons that we sort of ingest mm -hmm. that come through mm -hmm. the, you know, internet waves and the broadcast waves Absolutely. and how we internalize that and metabolize it and yeah. it becomes a part of us. And but we real. don't know it exactly. We don't know it, right? And, and because you, the book does have like a personal to the cultural to the global perspective, I want to ask, I mean, you get, I imagine, hundreds of emails, thousands of emails maybe, mm. you know, for, for yeah. your column, which is an interesting insight to people's interior conversations, yeah, yeah. right? Um, the last two years uh, doing Dear Ferocity, I definitely have noticed a change in the questions I get asked. Have you, have you noticed a change in the tenor of people's interiority? Yes. Um, when I started out, I mean, granted, when I started writing the column, I started at The All, okay. now it's at New York Magazine. Um, but in the beginning, I was sort of like, I'll just be like tough love person mm -hmm. that just tells people to dump their boyfriend. Okay. Important. You know, easy, mm -hmm. easy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it was sort of, angled as an existential column, okay. but the questions I got were not as existential, and at, over, over the years, mm -hmm. my, que my questions, my, the letters that I get are more and more existential, oh, as, as particularly okay. since Trump was elected, mm -hmm. I get crazy heavy stuff. So wow. I, I really feel like there's this, we're in this time, and, and part of it is social media, obviously, part of it is just like the way that we digest news mm -hmm. and information is sort of like, and also the, the way that news and information have kind of moved into our pockets yes. in a way that we don't. It's I mean, it, I think that some of us were addicted to media, mm -hmm. you know, 10 years ago, five years ago. But we're in this moment where it's almost like almost all of us are a little bit addicted. Absolutely. Um, and it's hard to turn it off. It's become kind of the norm to look at your phone constantly. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that fragmented uh, interaction that you have with the world and the fact that all of this tragedy and trauma is coming, you know, flying at your face all day, um, it's really, really hard to center yourself yes. and take each day as it comes slowly and calmly. Absolutely. I mean, I struggle with it every day. I do too. I, I mean, often when, especially these last couple of weeks, I will think about the news all day and literally dream about like kind of oh. reading as if I'm just like looking at a timeline, it's intense. Yeah. So to change that, to get out of that hell. We need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into some of your questions and okay. some of the, I mean, really good stuff here. All right, question one. Um, hey, Heather and Saeed, what, and I, I defer to you because you, you've been doing this and you're excellent. What advice would you give to someone working through a nearly year long block on being able to sit down and create, in this case, write, uh, any recommendations would be greatly appreciated. A year-long writing block. I understand that uh, very well. When I was started, when I started this book, it was right after Trump was elected. I was traumatized, mm -hmm. and I could not move forward. Every paragraph I wrote was about Trump, full of rage. <laughs> um, and I basically, eventually, I mean, there's this feeling right now of like, I have to be connected or I'm, I'm shirking my duties as a citizen. Um, but I do think that learning to pull back from your phone is the first thing. Okay. Um, figuring out a way, a, a practice that works for you. I mean, that sounds really obvious. I have a treadmill desk. Okay. It makes me sound like a severe overachiever. I tried that once and I was like, I'm gonna kill myself by It is, accident. if you do, if you start slowly, okay. it's great. Okay. I love it, but finding the, you know, experimenting with the things that make you feel okay. I mean, I do think that a very common problem that most of us have, creative people maybe have it a little bit more than mm -hmm. other people, but 
if you take in the world and you're too sensitive to the things that are coming at you, right. um, a thing that I do is I say to myself, this is how it should be. I was in the cab on the way here. Mm -hmm. I was getting, I get queasy in cabs really easily. Oh, okay. And I was thinking like, you're, you're an old white woman. You're awful. Dang. You know, like you're, <laughs> some camera's gonna be Taxi cab confession. <laughs> Some white, you know, some like camera's gonna be pointed at your face. You know, I was just thinking all this bad stuff. There was exhaust flowing in the window. And I had this feeling like, no, this is kind of a beautiful moment. Like, look around. I started to look at the buildings of New York. So beautiful. It's like, uh, for me, tuning into the moment and taking in the hard things about mm -hmm. what's what's happening around you mm -hmm. and the good things mm -hmm. in equal measure and yes. letting them come in instead of fighting them and pushing them away. Um, it helps me to feel less neurotic. And, and when the thing is, when you let in the good and the bad, when you're not always fighting it, um, I, I really feel like that feeds the creative process yes, too. I agree. You know, it I breaks agree. you out. Yeah, more, you get back Right to about the, the truth, get yeah. to the truth, yeah. right? Absolutely. Reality, I not agree. fantasy. Hello, hello somebody. <laughs> All right, um, this one's interesting. Uh, hi, Saeed and Heather. Uh, I am a 23-year-old Recent grad, congratulations, who just started a job at an intensely demanding international law firm, okay? I took the job because I believe in the human rights work we do, but it is not a good match. If this wasn't the first time I felt like this, I would move on to the next job, but it isn't. So knowing this, how do I cultivate personal resilience and grit? How do I, quote, toughen up without hardening to what feels wrong around me? Oh, this is kind of an interesting follow-up to your previous answer. Um, how can I make it without feeling so hurt? And most importantly, how do I decide when to speak up, when to stay put, and when to move on? Hmm. Um, woo, that's, woo, I that's, don't First know of all, that's, a, that's like a very early that. 20s <laughs> yeah. kind of delivery. Well, I'm just very, glad yeah. that I'm not you right now, that's really. That's girl. Um, I think, I think the, mm, it's kind of like being, learning to be present mm -hmm. and let people in mm -hmm. and learning to see, asking yourself what they're struggling with mm -hmm. instead of always thinking about, you know, we live in these kind of prisons of the self where we're always like, am I screwing up? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the, like I said, the, the, our, our, attention deficit that we all kind of share and the way that we're attached to our phones sort of heightens this. Yes. There's a feeling of like, if I'm, you know, I'm getting it wrong. If I'm jittery and mm -hmm. strange, you know, that means it's almost like a moral failure. It's mm -hmm. not just like, um, I'm just a person. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm failing myself. I'm letting the world down. Mm -hmm. So part of it is getting out of that cage where you've you move the focus away from your own internal neuroticism and emotion, which I think a lot of us have in a heightened way right now, yeah. and you move that center of attention out away from yourself onto other people and you think about how they're trapped too. Mm. Um, work, I feel, is such a great thing mm. and it's, it's hard to love work in a world of distractions you know, you, you always kind of feel like, I need more than this, right. I, I need there to be doing be something different, yeah. or I'm missing something mm -hmm. somewhere else. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that the, the kind of work that uh, this person is talking yeah, about, right. yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, this beautiful thing, and really, you know, going into the zone with that and focusing on the work itself, mm -hmm. and then when you're interacting with other people in the office, focusing on, you know, especially when, particularly when there are situations where you feel like you're not being heard, mm -hmm. you know, refocus that attention on what does this person need? What are they really doing when they 
are oppressive to me as mm -hmm. a, you know, a, an overlord, mm -hmm. right? Like, <laughs> real. I love it. <laughs> the only word that mm -hmm. for boss that comes to mind immediately. Um, but, but tuning into the needs of the people around you and tuning into your own center. I mean, part of it is also tuning into your of kind of a personal religion right. of what you believe. The core of who you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's like a practice that I've started just in the past year, and it's helped me so much. It's sort of like, what are the things that embarrass me the most about myself, mm -hmm. and how can I um, celebrate those things in a vacuum? Because you can't expect the world to celebrate the same things that you mm. celebrate about yourself, mm -hmm. you know? But when you believe in things that you are in some ways the most ashamed of, mm -hmm. um, that allows you to sort of blossom wow. for other people. Y'all, you are welcome, Twitter. <laughs> Heather is out here dropping knowledge and changing lives. My goodness, this is incredible. Thank you. Thank you, really. That was really helpful. I, I wish we had more time. We could literally just hours from now, but I guess. <laughs> I could talk for a long time. Find us on that. I, and and I girl, please talk. do. Please do, <laughs> truly. Again, Heather's book, What If This Were Enough, is available now. Get it everywhere. And of course, always you can read her columns uh, as Polly. I, look, it's. All right. Up next, Isaac and I are going to read some more of your tweets. I am going to re-roll re this footage and like internalize everything <laughs> you just shared. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Welcome back. Jen, you tweeted, I do so love the Dear Ferocity segments. Cool. And I feel the exact same. That is so much wonderful. And then yeah. to have Heather. That was, I mean, again. Mm. I, a I double was, dose. Listen. A I, double dose of healing. I was in there getting my life changed. So I hope some <laughs> of you, I, really, because I was like, oh my gosh, like this is it. This is absolutely what I needed to hear. I agreed with you at the end. I was like, let's, let's just keep it going. Just keep let's, it. I feel like the world could use more of this. Let's just keep <laughs> it yeah. rolling. It is so cool that our job is literally to have opportunities to just like learn from people like Heather. So shout out to her. Um, absolutely. Well, people maybe we don't want to hear from. Uh, we asked you what you would do if the president uh, texted you and what you would text back. Jolie, this is what you had to say. Three words, full coverage foundation. Wow. <laughs> I got that one. Wait, makeup is that shade. Makeup? makeup? Yeah. Oh, Ooh, I got it. Makeup Jolie? shade, baby. I was like, I thought it was like <laughs> phone coverage. No, no, no. Jolie. Hey, here's the thing. I like that Jolie took it in a positive place. He's like, I'm going to use this to try and make Advice. a small change in the world. Advice, like go for the Rachel Hay Girlfield also shared her concern, tweeting, oh God, what if it's a group text? <laughs> oh, I, don't, oh. I think that would actually, oh. that's it, isn't that just oh. Twitter? Oh. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Now we're back. Uh, Heather, sorry. are you still here? Are you I'm still in the studio? <laughs> Come back. Heal us more. Heal us more. All right, speaking of Tom Hardy. No, speak. Oh, you're just going to. That's just. That's, I'm just going <laughs> to slide right into that segue. Uh, of course, I had a lot to say, and so did you. Uh, Melissa Jordan, you tweeted Saeed Slam Poetry on the Tom Hardy tragedy. The tragedy of Tom Hardy. You were you were really going off there. It was, it was beautiful to kind of watch that unfurl. That's the word I'm going to use, to watch it unfurl. Uh, Blasian FMA said, those MySpace pics made me open up a Google search really quick to confirm something. Yeah, oh yeah. It's to a, confirm. It's a thing. So here's the thing. Uh -huh. Okay, so many reasons I love Tom Hardy. I really do. I think he's a wonderful actor. We are not going to act like he wasn't great in Inception. Okay. We're not going to act like he wasn't great in the Batman movies. Uh -huh. He gave us Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. He got a Best Supporting uh, Actor uh, nomination for The Revenant. Oh. Okay. Also, he's great in Rock Did he play Roller. the bear in that one? What was... 
I think he was the bear problem. No, okay, he wasn't. I mean. Uh, <laughs> also, two other things I love about Tom Hardy. One, he loves puppies. No, three. He loves puppies. Mm. This is you can verify uh, this mm. on the internet. Mm. Two, uh, when asked about his sexuality and like everything, he was like, "Of course, I slept with men. I slept with men. I slept with women. I'm an actor. Like this is just a part of the experience." And mm. like when we think about like masculine bros in Hollywood mm. and all of the bullshit that no, like he's just like he's great. He's great. And he was very open about overcoming his drug addiction and going sober and like. He it just, I'm here for Tom Hardy, y'all. Which I'm is here very for Hardy, fantastic. Don't at me. Very fantastic. A man. Yeah. A good man. Also incredibly handsome. He's really hot. There it is. <laughs> there it is. He's cute. He is 5'9", so, you know, that would be prohibitive for me. But, you know, oh, we love yeah. him on the screen. Okay. We love him on the screen. I have a new goal, and that's to get Tom Hardy on this show <laughs> and see how prohibitive that is. Ooh. Get to the thank you. All right. I even forgive his tattoos. Thank you to our guests. <laughs> Heather Havaleski, Jonathan Bennett. Hey, what day is it? It's October 3rd. Ah, Jessica Massey, Rachel Krishna, and Paul McLeod. Woo! That a was <laughs> a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. We'll Surviving be back tomorrow. Us, enjoying 10 a.m. It'll be Thursday. Good luck. Here's the president's gonna text you today. 20, 218. 218. Just a warning on that. 218. Presidential alert.